Intruders Part 2. The next theme seems to be being haunted by loss of the change of self. Um, and so the first track there is the track Missing Me. Which is, I think, uh, the, uh, the other very jazzy track on here. One you can snap your fingers to. Yeah. A very, very nice bass line. That harmonica. The residents have, I, well, they, they haven't sounded like this before. I know that's sort of pointless to say. Um, with the residents, because of course they haven't. <laughs> but this is so far in a different direction. Um, hmm. This one's funny. I like the story. Um, basically, it's about this dude, and he works the most boring, pointless job on the planet, and he feels like he's a nobody, and he's lost his life to this thing that he's become, you know, that he pretty much can't even recognize, um, because it's so far from the person he was, and he's lost all passion, and in the, in the lyrics for the song, it talks about, um, him having dreams where he's in a cave, in a dark cave, underwater, looking for himself, um, but he can't find himself, and he's trying to figure out, like, who can he be? if he doesn't know who he is. And in the story, it elaborates on that a little bit, but it actually proposes a resolution compared to, um, you know, Voodoo Doll and the Scarecrow. What to do when faced with your intruder. This dude decides to take up bowling. <laughs> and it sort of leaves us on a cliffhanger. We don't know how his bowling career goes, but he sure does pursue it. I hope it goes it's, well. Well, no, he's, it says the story kind of leaves off at a kind of like, there's something to hold on to, like bowling. He loves bowling, but he had to go for it. Like, you know, maybe he's a little too old, but come on, man. He told himself, do it. So that implies he hasn't done it yet, but it's something oh, he could true. do. So it's like, he's depressed out of his mind, obviously. And like he, he knows there's something he can do about it, but he hasn't yet. For whatever reason, maybe it's because he feels so suppressed, but he hasn't done it. He knows he should. He's telling himself to do it, but he hasn't gotten out and done it. Yeah. This one, uh, the, the lyrics to the song are so very abstract. You would not get the, the story mm -hmm. at all um, without reading the story section. Um, yeah. Yes. If you don't have that story, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, I mean, it does, because it still captures that if we're going to operate on the belief of this whole idea that he's depressed, because I think he sounds depressed. He's, I'm missing me, I'm missing me, I'm missing me. It's like, you lose yourself. He lost his self. He doesn't... Bowling might be his self, but he can't do it. He can't break it here. He hasn't done it. You know, you know, uh, I yeah. feel like I'm talking for Italic. There's also, no, there's also yeah. a shark. Mm. Yeah, out on the sea with a shark. Yeah. So, mm. so it's like, okay, I'm getting some of the story. Wait, why is there a shark <laughs> in the water? The, the, the lyrics capture the, the sort of thematic, uh, the, the theme of the song, which is just being lost. Um, 
with one's current self. Um, I almost, because the lyrics describe the dream, I think in a lot of ways it sort of, it reflects that where someone's having this weird dream that captures their their uh, internal troubles. Yeah. And then once you're given the context of their actual life, you're like, ah, okay, I... You have a complete picture. Um, yes. Because if, if you read someone's dreams or something, they don't really make sense, but you can kind of get a thematic... Like, you can kind of get a tiny little picture of who someone is um, from just a dream. And that's what you're doing with the song. Endless and deep. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, the song is uh, so good. I know I like the residents, and I know I like pretty <laughs> much every track the residents put out, and I say that constantly, Do? but Endless and Deep. Okay. Flute. This track has flute yeah. in it. Uh, wait, okay. Flute. flute okay. I, I'm, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this, but flute seems to be a a thing that's very much so far of this album because there's flute in the other. There's flute in Voodoo Doll for a bit. There's flute in... Frank's Lament. Uh, there's flute even in Missing Me. Um, so there's a lot of flute, which I don't think there's really much other flute in the residence. At least not in this concentration before. Maybe they... I mean, it's. I, I appreciate it. I think the residents have always had a sort of orchestral quality to them, even if they don't exactly have access to that breadth of instrumentation at all times. Um, you know, you get this track. Um, this album has like like a lot of violin in it, too. Um, and I think it's just delicious. It has bass that rattles my soul. The bass is pretty good, <laughs> especially for. Um, Frank's Lament. I like step down with the bass. Pretty good. Anyway, Endless and Deep. Um, this one's the weirdest one to me because I have no idea what it's about. I, know. I mean, I kind of do, but it's weird. Not really. it, it gives me the sense of like trauma. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, um, or at least ha- having known. I mean, yeah, I think it is a sort of, of trauma that has been experienced here, but also not knowing exactly what it is that occurred. Like, the story, I think, the song, not so much, but the story, it's, uh, like, you know, it's talking about how it's, he keeps telling himself it's in the past, it's in the past, but it keeps dragging him back in, and it's talking about the lies, but they're not whole lies and all these like things that he felt naked and vulnerable and contained and murky memories and all sorts of things that he it's so and that's also something you see a lot with trauma it's just this idea of not of it being muddled I guess it seems like he's been through some I can't curse on the show it's a family show some uh, crapple uh, is that a curse some real he's been, stuff he's been through it he's the, been through the, it the story like the part that just hits me the most is oh yeah it's in the past 
but the past has mm-hmm. gravity. Full stop. The past has weight. Another stop. The past has mass, and it won't go away. It's like... It's, uh. it's physically those, intruding. Yeah, it was those couple of lines that made me feel like it was definitely something like... Something, it's something trauma-related. It speaks very much of some kind of trauma to me. Like, a lot of these songs, the intruders... You know, a lot of them are mental. They are mental. They're mental intruders. But this one definitely seems like something that happened in his past won't let go. Yeah. It maintains its grip on him. It's containment. Ultimately, it's single most critical conceit. Until it broke down, but then what? It never actually receded like it promised. So he keeps thinking he's escaping. But... That never really happens. And so what do you do then? Where do you go? By the way, the song, much like Missing Me, also features like a... Yeah, it's sort of like he needs... (laughs) Hang on. It it feels almost... They feel similar because this one also... Features a an endless ocean without hues in the uh, in the lyrics, which Missing Me kind of does with, with its underground water thing going on. It's very yeah. I think um, there's like a certain there's a trauma of loss. Yeah, too. yeah. In, in both um, of those tracks, I feel like there's a there's a feeling of being kind of lost, like in Frank's Lament. Yeah. Um. And just not knowing who, like, not knowing one's full self, almost. Yeah, losing track of one's full self. And I think that's, um, really... That shows up a lot in the other, right? Because you get this man who is so deeply in love with his wife. You know, the power of that love made their senses of self intertwined. But once she dies she takes essentially his whole existence, his whole sense of being with her. And so (laughs) he's sort of left realizing that there is this void in him that is far larger than he knows how to deal with. And what's even worse is that he's literally haunted by his wife. And you know he's sort of looking for what he needs, you know, and he doesn't know what he needs. Obviously, he needs his wife back, but he needs something because he has lost everything. The the story to this one, I I always imagine the the guy from the the music video to uh, um, Perfect Love. Perfect Love? Um, Because it starts off the same. Yes. And in a way, now that, you know, his wife is gone, she lives on as this sort of perfect love, if you want to tie it back to that song. Yeah. It's, I, Peter oh White has God, vocals I was just about on to this, say that. so fitting. They're so, whenever the residents do songs about, like, grief and, and loss like this, they're always so haunting, so beautiful, but just so... Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, they're so just 
they're just dripping in in grief and those kinds of emotions this one very much the same they really capture the complexity of loss yeah and of need like i think what i'm thinking of with this and how it's talking about the lyrics um the other hovers over me and covers everything i see like a lover blinding me you know of every uh, uh, the world awaits the other aches um the one song off of talking light randy's ghost stories and all that with the woman i can't i'm blanking on the name of the song but mole it's your favorite one what song the one that uh her husband dies, and she sees him uh, when she goes um, to sleep. Mm. Um, um, that's one for Perchance to Dream. Um, yeah, um, yeah. um, the um, The Howard um, story. It's, is it dream, 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 and I see you. That was, that was something. It, it's the Howard story. Into the loving... Yeah. yeah. Howard, yeah, Howard, yeah, that was um, close. AKA Perchance. I love that story, too. That's, that's my favorite. Perchance to Dream. There you go. It does. Yes, it's sort of like the um, the doppelganger of that. Whoa! It kind of does almost, except he doesn't slip into a coma to see to see. But yeah, but he yeah. could. What if he does? He can. You don't know him. True. She does haunt his dreams. Yeah, says the story. Yeah. Just the all-encompassing nature of grief in this song. Yeah. Yeah, that's all there. At the end of the day, it's grief, the song. And not in a bad way, naturally speaking. Um, it just perfectly encapsulates that feeling of just the all-consuming nature of grief. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very much... It isn't, like... It isn't, like, overtly depressing in the same way that, I don't know, some other songs would be. There's a gentleness. What's the word? Oh, a, a certain cat told me about this word. It's melancholy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there really is. There's this melancholy to it. Did no, I say no, that? Maurice the cat. Rest in peace. Oh. Um, <laughs> no. Um, th- there's a gentleness to it because it is, you know, reflections on a loved one. So there is still a kind of beauty still there, uh, buried within that grief. Peter Whitehead. Ah, God, so good. He sound his voice sounds like if a World War One documentary was speaking. You're silent because I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. Still needy. Yes. Oh, oh the guitar. I was like, yes, 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 yes. So yes. I'm, I want to tell my story about listening to this song for the first time. Um, so, I, you know, I, as probably, you know, everyone else did, sat down with the album, was reading the stories and the lyrics. Um, but I, I, I chose not to read ahead in the lyrics um, on this song. And when, when the lyrics finally first started up, I was like, you know, this kind of sounds like uh, neediness from Demons Dance Alone. <laughs> and then when the like actual lyrics started, I was like, oh, oh my God, is this allowed? Is this legal? Are you allowed to do this, residents? Because uh, it just, it blew my mind. I like jumped in my chair. I didn't expect them to do this at all. <sighs> so if, if you didn't know. But 
I, this is a cover, I, almost. It's more like just a redo, because resins I, I, don't do straight-up covers. I'd like to say... I'd like to say that when this album was imminent, I, um... I remember on Lay, uh, her Instagram, she posted that one lyric sheet thing. And I saw the lyrics, and I was like, wait, those look familiar. I just, I just love that, too, because it's like... Okay, neediness is my favorite resident song <laughs> of all their discography. <laughs> so then I see those lyrics pop up in the context of Intruders, and I think, wait, wait, wait. If you're remaking it, aren't you? You crazy. Like, so yeah, so in case you didn't know, uh, Still Needy is a... I wouldn't say it's a cover, it's like a revisiting of uh, neediness from Demon's Dance Alone. Because it kind of, first off, it, it sounds almost like a continuation. Uh, you know, it's called Still Needy. Um, yeah, it, implying that this is a, almost a continuation. There was neediness, mm-hmm. and now we're still needy. And then the fact that the theme of the song is almost changed. Because the first one was just about... It's not begging anymore. <laughs> They're no longer pleading. Yeah, the, the, the first song was about just straight-up neediness. This one's more about codependence. Okay, so with the way that, um, for example, Running Away has perspective strangeness, my thought with this track is that the perspective has changed. It's from the demon's point of view. <laughs> It kind of does sound like that. Mm. It it um the, the song starts out asking to help rather than to receive help, which is then, what neediness is about. Yeah, the original songs, please, please, oh please, won't uh, you and help? This one, me? And this song, please, can I help you? And yeah. then it also ends with, please let me help you. I'll help you. Can I help you? I know just what you need, which is like a twist of the original opening um, that they sing in the song. Yeah, there's something that I need. That's, that's, uh, that's such like a sad closing, too. It's like, I know what you need. Let me help you. But then they won't let him help. Yeah, we've all been in situations like that, I imagine. It sucks. I, I, I um, as I was saying before, though, after a lot of listens came to my own personal conclusion that what the song is like is a continuation. I was good about it that it's time. Gone from, or the progression kind of goes like, I'm sick of begging, oh, let me help you now, kind of thing. It's like, it's like it happens um, in a lot of situations, like when someone needs help but they deny needing help. So you're, th- you're, you're sitting there, you're begging for them to let you help them, but they won't. So then Still Needy comes, and it says, let me help you now. I know what you need here, just let me help you. Yeah, well, I mean, lyrically. Yeah, lyrically. And to, to add on to my thing, uh, I bolster that with the fact that the instrument sounds are a lot more aggressive and harsher sounding than the original one. The, the yeah, texture. The, the, the beat of, of it, the rhythm. Ooh, the textures. Yeah. Really loud metallic slamming. It, it, it sounds... It sounds like um the new it machine does. from It does Mark sound Mold. very So many people noted that. Um it definitely has that feel. Uh this song is kinda kind of ref- a reflection of neediness sound wise as well, because it starts with this long build up rather than the, the the crescendo that neediness ends on. 
Um, meaniness doesn't really have a a, a build-up. I mean, I guess it kind of does, because you need to build something up to do that crescendo. But it just starts, whereas this one has like two minutes before singing starts. We're just banging on stuff, building up this rhythm. It like arrives. <laughs> yeah. Which is what made it even more surprising to me, because it's like, okay, like, when are we going to get to the words? Oh my god, they're covering mm-hmm. neediness. I guess also the the texture of of still needy and just the sound of it, it feels advanced in a way. I mean, just the technology of synthesized instruments that they're using is advanced. Um, But also just it feels like the way it sounds, it it adds to that sort of feeling that it's a continuation of neediness. Like, Like because there's now this sort of codependence, it's kind of evolved in a more nuanced way in a way it really does sound like a 2019 2018 take on on neediness from 2002 overall what do we think of intruders love it It, oh residents did it again it was it's a it's a spooky one it's a spooky one um i listened to it in the dark and uh that was difficult. You know, I, I just thought about it. You know, it's spooky, but at the same time, have the residents made anything that sounded happy? Sure they uh, have. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, um, 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 um uh, let, me, let me just make that harder. Sounded and was thematically happy. Okay, um, My window um, from Animal you know, Lover. Um, <laughs> you know, the American Composer series is happy. It's it's done in admiration. Um, Does that... I mean, okay, the two is the two. The child music uh, is true. happy, but also you know, they're um, uh, class. You know, they're they're the um, they're the uh, bourgeoisie. Falls of the world unite. Um, you, you know, the laughing uh, song is, is it's just about having fun. This is going to bother me. Now that you've asked me that, it's going to bother me until I figure it out. I mean, because the thing is... is, um, You, yes, 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 I have I have become one of the intruders. Because the thing is, is that the (laughs) residents make me happy. So I'm just like, yeah, you know, uh, all this stuff is happy. Oh, wait, no. The Ghost of Hope makes me happy, but when I listen to it, I'm like, like, um, oh, oh. When I, when I listen to Jelly Jack, like the more modern live oh, versions, ooh, that makes me I just very think happy. like, I just think like, hey, this makes me happy. And then towards the end, it gets all spooky, and I'm like, I, I'm not happy, but I'm loving this. I'm not happy, but I'm loving it. I like that. Speaking That's of not my being new happy, but loving life. it. News. News. A lot of news. Um, uh, Eskimo deconstructed two LP set. Oh with my a God. CD. Yeah, oh. yeah, with a CD. Oh, it's a whole hour of Arctic wind. So, so wait, 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 wait. And that, this is the part where we say... An, uh, an entire mm. hour CD of Arctic wind. Isn't that just Eskimo? That's just... That's just Eskimo. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It's like, Next up. Uh, other things from Cherry Red. The mole box is due out on April 5th, 2019. By the time this episode comes out... It will probably have already been April fifth, so you're I need late. To pre-order that. Um, 
and also more from Cherry Red in terms of upcoming Preserves, the American Composer series, and Gotham Three Persons, and QB. Ooh, and we got... Also, American Composers isn't coming out first. <laughs> We're also getting uh, news on upcoming vinyl releases for the Preserved edition. For Record Store oh, Day. Well, well also, um, there's the Record Store Day one, but then they, they also talked about in the latest newsletter... Um, Oh, about yeah, hunters, uh, gingerbread man, one other one that I forgot. Um, that would all be going out <laughs> Have a on vinyl um, in the future, which probably be like a year from now. <laughs> Fresh crispy vinyl yeah. midi. Uh, um. We have no money. We will never have any money ever again. Thank you, Resonance. <laughs> another thing, and another another important thing. There is not much time remaining. At the time of this recording, there is only two weeks left on the special Bunny Boy book, edited by Polly and Jen Craniac, um, of all... Oh God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Otherwise, I'm gonna get flayed alive. Um, it is a compilation of a bunch of the thousands of emails that our dear sweet bunny boy received. This is to accompany an upcoming exhibition in France, which is a recreation of Bunny's room. Ooh, ooh. His secret That doesn't room. sound safe. Um, <laughs> no. They're going to trip on a wire or something and burn down the whole place. whole place is going to go up in a shroud oh, of flames. I see what you did there. <laughs> um, God. <laughs> that sounds... It was an oil fire. With, with the bunny boy, you know, you can't really experience the email part anymore. So, um, yeah. This is uh, yeah. This is something I've been excited for. for and a and long they they never time. released the emails besides just random people who who were emailing out at that time. Uh, saved some of their emails and like post them online on like fan forums and stuff. But there's no it it, it gives publish publishing of the emails up until now or rather soon this point yeah it's gonna be so cool this is very exciting it's gonna be very, so yeah, very um cool. pre-order yeah. that it's important uh maybe maybe we'll talk um, about Bunny Boy in a future episode that's scary don't talk yeah, like that's that. true um may i offer you all a comment from a residence video you may oh yeah you might or you may so uh rub your hands together get nice and comfy St. Nixon, one year ago, says, First song is the most frightening I've ever heard. What was the concept? You! Y wait, it just ends on you? You, all caps, ellipses. Oh, you. <laughs> wait, what was the context? What was it on? I would assume, I would assume I uh, oh, no. one minute movies, maybe. You! Isn't you that part of it? The mystery is a part of it, yes. Alright, so anyways, that's all from us at Home Age Conversations. Whoa. Um, tune in next time, which will be soon. Yeah, we'll we'll talk soon. about something. We promise. We'll It'll talk be about soon. something. Okay. Yeah. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. Be sure to check out our website at homeageconversations.com. Yeah, 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 check out um, our website, www.homeageconversations.com, because we got that website
And thus concludes our two-part Intruders special with our guest, Eric Drew Feldman. Be sure to check out our bonus episode consisting of just the Eric interview if you want to hear that in its entirety. And join us next time as we explore the most potato chip of all potato chip projects, The Residence, The Bunny Boy. Uh, the residence is a state of mind, and I th- I think as kind of as is uh, been in um, demonstrated by this album that came out fairly recently called "I Am a Resident," and at the time, you know, Randy talking Rose. about it. Randy got Rose. the idea for the next 12 albums in his head and I was kind of like still thinking about oh I've really got to dig into this intruders concept and doing that and you know he was fine and he found somebody else to work on that that I thought did you know a great job he did. and uh, I feel like would have been more of a stretch for me in a way uh, and I learned some stuff from listening to that, for sure. But, you know, I'm not sure if it is a residence record. or, But I kind of think it is, even though it's it's all guests, pretty much. And it's, you know. So. Exploiting their talents. Yeah, well, it's exactly. And, you know, it's a talk about another one of the ultimate versions of pay-to-play. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody that was on that, you know, paid to have the privilege to have a song of theirs. Yeah. Or even if it ends up being... A, that's what I think became really interesting of it, because they had so many inclusions, people wanting to do it. But sometimes people have a 15, 20-second interlude of what they did. And uh, so, you know, like I said, is everyone's a resident. You know, it's like... It's not, you know, so much the, you know, people talk all about the, uh, you know, the importance and the mythology and the anonymity. And everything I'm saying here breaks down those walls. But I don't know how much, you know, it's kind of for the, the big fans and it's, you know, they seem to enjoy that and that's, that's fine. Let them, let them have it, but it's not, it was never important to me. People always asked me, you know, back in 1982, uh, when I started playing with Philip and I had a little bit of notoriety then already, they'd always ask me, who are the residents? And I'd say, I, I could tell you, but I wouldn't mean a damn thing to you. They're not people that you know from anywhere. And uh, they're just talented artists. And they'd say, oh, you mean so none of the Beatles are in it and all this stuff. And I would just laugh. And, and then... a really hard time separating the pop from the star from the artist. Yeah. And not realizing that they don't matter. They don't, they don't need to be intertwined. I had this whole thing, uh, a little, not monologue, but in an interview that I did for... Um, uh, the theory of obscurity that in an early cut was sort of the point but I guess it wasn't very fun was that 
I said that. I really said that right off. I said, it doesn't matter who the residents are. It's not interesting. What's interesting is what they do. And the cloak of the anonymity, you know, for them makes it easier for them to do it, apparently. But uh, I said, is this, that's not what's interesting about what they do, is who are they? You know, they're everybody, you know. And, uh, but somehow that didn't, they wanted something a little more mystique, so that was all cut. <laughs> a little sexier. Yeah. And, because uh, I never saw that cut, but I think Carla told me that she saw it. I thought, thought that was really good. Uh, well, what would you say your favorite track off of the Intruders is? Do you have one that you found most interesting to work on, or one that... There's, se- there's several, uh, and probably not the ones that you would think. Yeah, I think the one called Still Needy was really fun. It's just because it wasn't really like that at the beginning, but I kind of just realized, I don't know, this is kind of like a some sort of a, a vamp in a jam that's felt really heavy to me and I kind of exploited it for that like I you know just made it kind of like it's just a heavy vamp for the whole thing and then you know there's all these layers of orchestrations that come on it but at the bottom it's just like a really throbbing you know bass and drum beat and all this stuff and uh, I tend to know how to do therefore I take advantage of it, but making those sounds kind of more expanded than they have been previously on residence records. You know, as they would say, as I, you know, a lot of people at times, including myself, though I'm over it, I realized, you know, everybody said, oh, what's your favorite residence records? And I'd kind of say, oh, it's, you know, fingerprints or, uh, that other one we mentioned earlier. Not, not available. Not available. Favorite records of, uh, you know, of mine, of theirs. And, uh, you know, Tales of Two Cities. But, you know, the good things, I, and I got this from talking Charles about... Charles Bobak. Heavy things, you know. There's a naivety, naivete, that's how you say it, French. Uh, it was never my subject in school. Uh... You know, in the, to me, in the approach of how they did it. And I'm not sure that I'm even accurate in saying that, but, you know, it kind of did. They were just, wow, we have a, we have a four-track tape recorder or a two-track tape recorder, and they figured out how to use it. And nobody told them that you shouldn't do this. Yeah. And what we are blessed with is a great... Um, Uh, a great batch of music but you know at some point then as the technology moved on and the residents not wanting necessarily to repeat themselves started becoming more a band that was like embracing new technology all the time and with that becomes the good and the bad and um, you know you can't keep 
pretending to be a non-musician forever once you <coughs> becoming more and more of a sophisticated composer. So that's what I think sort of happened with them. And uh, so that kind of freed me up for, you know, I always kind of am attracted towards music that's, that's rough, you know, but not necessarily <coughs> naive. Yeah. So I kind of feel that I can bring that to it in a certain yeah, the residents from their earliest days through current have always had very sophisticated compositions. You know, they might not be classically trained musicians, but the ideas, the, the understanding of what sounds good, yeah. be it to the Western ear or not, that foundation's always been there. Hi, good to see you. Good. So... Um, well, do you know of any future plans for the Intruders concept beyond the initial album? Uh, I hope we play in some form or another the songs on an upcoming tour though I know the plans it seems like that's always the thing with the residents is I was really pretty excited after Ghost of Hope and all we did is, in between dreams, we included a couple of songs that we could play from that. And, you know, we're already playing, in, then we eventually moved uh, that song I mentioned earlier called Voodoo Doll into the live set. But, uh, Does any of it have to do with the way the songs are composed, that they're not necessarily live performance? Well, hardly any of them are as recorded, but... You know, like that's why you always hear like a song from 25, 30 years ago with the residents that sounds uh, completely different. And it usually, uh, it usually adheres to some, you know, musical center. Some of the arrangements they were doing with some of the songs, I don't really hear it sometimes. I remember when, for whatever reason, when I came on board, whoever were the, uh, not producers, but the uh, agents for some of the parts of tours apparently had said they really wanted them to play Constantinople. And so they worked up a version of it that suited what they were doing then which is fine other than it wasn't going to satisfy somebody that wanted Constantinople as they knew it so when I came on board I tried to say let's just find a way to make this a little closer to what was recorded because I you know I didn't maybe have the same history with it that they might have had of like that they loathe it after 40 years, but well, Charles Bobak. Really, really good at deconstructing a song and then deconstructing that again and deconstructing it again and again and again and then putting it back together into an almost completely unrecognizable form of what it was. Right. Which is great, but it's, sometimes it's 
it's not going to help you in, in a live situation where you're trying to do something familiar. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, if you've ever gone to see Bob Dylan in the last 20 years or 15 years. He has he can come out and start singing a song, and you're like, and then he hits the chorus, and you go, oh yeah, it's that song. But you had no idea until he got there. You know, he's he's completely riffing on something in his own head that is very different. You know. I totally respect, you know, nothing wrong with it. But, uh, so, you know, in some ways, I suppose we're going to be doing that with some of these songs because we have to take a way of doing something that was, you know, recorded with multi-tracks galore and little bits and bobs with several people and try to figure out how to play it with three people, you know, and so... That uh, is always that's always the challenge, you know. Sometimes I wish we could manage to have another person or two, but I don't really like really big bands. But having just a little more of that kind of talent around opens up possibilities. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't see it. It's hard enough to just get out there and go to a tour and be able to come back not having uh, being in debt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to lose money on a tour. Yeah. Well, is there anything you can tell us about any potential future work that the residents are working on right now? Well, they're working on a project that I'm sure I can tell you about that is a it's kind of a story about a a, uh, a blues singer from the early 70s uh, whose name is uh, professional name is Diane Dog and uh, you know they plan to release a record of their version of of uh, several of his songs plus a plus a version of well it's it's like an acetate that they found of his music uh, which got them into the idea of doing the project so nobody's ever really heard of him any you know the as far as I understand it the mystique of uh, Diane Dog is that he was uh, a big fan of Howlin' Wolf and kind of emulated him to some degree and then uh, started rec- got some you know a little bit of money went into a recording studio and you know recorded some sides and uh, somewhere in the near the end of this process uh, Helen Wolf died and uh, Dying Dog just apparently went kind of went crazy and just disappeared and whereabouts remain unknown and all the copies of these records there there was just a copy one copy one copy that the residents you know found at a uh, like a garage sale or a flea market and they you know they for 25 cents or 50 cents they bought you know these I think they were 45s and uh 
you know, uh, you know, listened to them and found them really interesting. And so the residents are going to release, release those, those? Oh, so release those, and then versions of their uh, of their interpretations of his songs. Well, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Does that have a potential time window as far as when? Uh, late 2019 or 2020, at least for the uh, for releasing the uh, you know the release of his versions, and then there's a tour that's planned for them. That's why what I was going on saying things are always behind and ahead of themselves. Uh, I think there was an idea that they should do a. a tour of playing the album. Oh man, what's wrong with me? What's the one that was re-released on CD as Undisclosed Project? A tour, I think that's going to be a uh, you know two halves with an intermission with Undisclosed Project 2019 or 2020 and some Dying Dog stuff. So these things are always subject to change, but that's, yeah. as I understand it now. If, if any other group in the history of <laughs> music that's subject to change, that's the reason. But that's that's what we kind of are working towards right now, is uh, is is making the uh, you know residents versions of uh, Elvin Snow's music and. Uh, We'll see what happens. Well, now we've got some important questions. Uh, I'm an Aries. That was actually the second question. The first <laughs> one is, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, coffee. Favorite mainstream pop song from any point in time? Oh, come on. I mean, you think that's an, a light. That is really hard for me to... What does pop mean, by the way? But narrow that down. We'll narrow pop down to top forty radio. My favorite song that I ever heard on top forty radio. Um, see, I have so many dozens and hundreds of songs that are just below top forty. Okay, that how I love. about let's rephrase that. Favorite guilty pleasure pop song. Something that you've heard that you would never tell anyone that you like. Oh, I'll tell somebody, but but it's you know, but I do feel guilty. I think the first time I ever heard Jumping Jack Flash, the studio version, I was like, whoa. Just the sound of the record is just sizzling. There's going to be flames coming off the needle of the 45 to me. So I really loved that. Um, I really love the albums of uh, Jack Bruce. Do you know who that is? I don't know Jack Bruce. Jack Bruce was the, a main composer and singer from a band called Cream. Oh, okay. Yeah. And... Uh, Right after Cream, he did a few solo records that are... Did he recently pass away? Yeah, not about... Years fly by now way too fast, so I don't know, but it was like maybe four years ago. Yeah. And, uh, 
one of my great regrets. I, I did see them when I was about 12 or 13. And the opportunity did arise to fly to New York to see them when they did these. Yeah. And I really wanted to do it and was trying to talk a buddy into it. And he kind of said, okay. But, you know, it was that kind of a project that before you could think about doing it, it was sold out. And the original prices of tickets were probably like $800. So it was always out of my range. And then they were going to be 8000 So plus a plane ticket to New York. So I bailed. Um, I'm trying to think. There was also a band uh, that I grew up because uh, they were sort of in the same neighborhood as me, a band called Spirit that I loved. And their first four albums are amongst, you know, the closest to my heart. And, you know, I learned and have exploited and extracted so much from what they were all doing that I could be sued. And... Um, And and I'm I'm not the only one, but they actually had an instrumental song on their first record that recently they tried to their heirs tried to sue Led Zeppelin because a lot of people think this that Stairway to Heaven the especially the intro is a direct ripoff from this song. Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been in court and got through some lower things and agreed with but then I heard after like three years in the courts it was rejected so but you know they're not they're not free of having liberated songs from blues people and things like that so but they were especially too on tour the er, very early days of Led Zeppelin they were on tour with Spirit so makes sense so it's not just out of so it's not out of the blue it's not a total coincidence yes Anyway, this is not necessarily stuff for the uh, podcast, but... Uh, Next question. Do you feel that had the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand been successfully thwarted, World War One would have never happened? Or the tensions in Europe built up to such an extent that it was bound to happen sooner or later and the assassination served more or less as an excuse for these countries to, to declare war? Here's what I think. I think somebody if you had the ability to time travel and you went back to before that assassination attempt and you swatted a fly that hadn't been swatted in history, that everything could be different. That's enough to make it different. So I think the whole concept um, of time travel is... (laughs) extremely da- dangerous and I love to agree with any of that stuff but um, you know it's not particularly original but there's a, a book of the last I think five years or so by Stephen King that's called 112263 and I didn't even know it existed but I went into a cafe in this neighborhood one day for a coffee and they have books in this place that you can you can read and uh, instead of looking at my phone, I said, I picked up a book that was there, and it was this book. And, you know, 25 years ago, I read several 
Stephen King books, so I was like, oh, I haven't, here's an old friend that I haven't really been keeping up with. And I found it really engrossing, and the basic premise of, of that book is is of a guy from modern times that for various reasons is convinced to go back pre, um, pre-Kennedy assassination and try to ch- change it. And he's successful, and being successful comes back in the the, the the present is not the present that he left and it's so different and so horrible that he's forced to go back again and well to make sure that uh, which is so against his grain but to make sure that Leo Harvey Oswald is successful it's an interesting premise for a, a yarn so last question <laughs> I see no reason not to believe in aliens. Um, sure, why would we be... We're just a little speck of sand in this whole thing. Why would we be the uh, only speck of sand with what we like to call sentient beings? I think that it just makes sense. You know, uh, I haven't seen true evidence of it. I'm not somebody that's... I've had my UFO experiences to have them be proven to not be real. You know, the, the closest one once I was down in La Jolla, California working on a, a soundtrack for a, a play down there and I was asleep one night and I woke up uh, like with a start totally f- f- like what seems fake but there was the sound of uh, engines in front of uh, outside of my uh, you know condo windows where I was staying so that if you screamed you couldn't hear yourself scream and uh, and really bright lights flashing and that went on for five minutes or whatever and I was kind of terrified I was like you know sitting you know I was in the bed that I was sleeping in in this place was kind of a mattress on the floor and I sat up and my back was against the wall and had the covers around me and I said oh you know I kind of waited it out and this is the part that made me the next day and then I went back to sleep and what's what always seemed weird to me as I explained this to anybody was why didn't I get up and look outside the window? But it was so loud and so terrifying that I think I was just viscerally like couldn't move. I was really, and then I decided after the fact that it was a dream. But I was, you know, in the theater a couple days later and, you know, on a break I heard some of the actors sitting around talking about the noise from a couple of nights before around where the place where we were staying. And I kind of went up to him and I said, Tuesday night? Duh. And they said, yeah. And, you know, everybody explained their experience, which was a variation of mine. And I said, well, I think there was something, because here's my version of it. Two, you know, or the next day or days later, there was an article in the local 
newspaper saying that a naval plane, uh, one of these huge planes that carries nothing but fuel that was full, got lost in the fog and was flying over this residential area in... Uh, sure it was. Yeah, and they said it was at an altitude of less than a thousand feet. And if it was true, and I mean, if it had happened, it would have been one of those accidents that, you know, so many tens of thousands of people would have been crispified. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so that was that. So I went, okay, you know, there it goes, explained away. And it was like on page 19 of the front <laughs> section of the paper, you know, because I think there were all these people going, well, did you do that? was that a UFO? You know, and... Uh, so then the news had to put something out. Yeah, so that, that came well, out. Well, the fears. Yeah, I've never feared about it. You know, I've worked with this guy, Black Francis, a lot. He's written a lot of songs about uh, about UFOs and experiences. And supposedly when he was a baby, his mom and uh, her husband at the time, you know, took him to this thing where there was a a really close sighting and he was there and all this uh, that's the closest they've been able to figure out why he's always had this direct fascination with it but, uh, well Eric before I let you go is there anything else you want to tell us anything that you want to plug any uh, upcoming projects you're working on well I'm only going to say is it's only in very early stages and I hope I have some other way to keep you informed of this but myself and the uh, redoubtable uh, Sivan Lion Cub that's a real name uh, that I mentioned earlier we've been doing some collaborations and at this point we've decided to call our project Puff Horse Puff Horse which is uh, a train reference that's a that's an old word for like, you know. In fact, on an old Beefheart song, he says, "The old tough horse was just pulling through." <laughs> so anyway, it just came to us. We tried about a million names, because that's you know when you decide you're going to start a band or a project, you have to have a name. I got the best name in the world, of course. Yeah. Well, when Puff Horse comes out with, I'll let you know. You let me know, and we'll get it on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or we have a few songs even before it's out. We have a couple things to do. Um, yeah, I hope we've talked enough about. Uh, the only thing I'm gonna do. Here, let's let's say our goodbyes first. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Eric. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's a pleasure for me. Once you get me going, you can't shut me up. <laughs> so. Uh, well, until next time, we really appreciate uh, you hanging with us. Okay. Well, thank you much.